Welcome to Table Flippers Podcast, an outreach of Greater Works Christian Church here in Lancaster, California. I am your host, Robert Enos. If you like what you hear, visit us at gwcclancaster.org. That's gwcclancaster.org. Find the Table Flippers link, click on it, and you'll get to our merchandise. Now, get ready for a huge dose of truth and a huge dose of common sense. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Today is Wednesday, May 3rd, 2023. Do you know what tomorrow is? Please don't say merely at least Thursday. Because, well, it is Thursday, I guess. But it's Thursday, May 4th, the National Day of Prayer. And that's what I want to talk to you a little bit about. I usually come on here and do some rants, and I'll probably do some rants before I finish up this episode, but I want to talk to you about the National Day of Prayer. It's establishing a little bit, but more importantly, the importance of the National Day of Prayer. Because if you are paying attention to what's going on in this country right now and what has been going on in this country for a few years, um, I think you would agree that there are some things that God is not very happy with, not very pleased with. We have uh, abortion still, even though they overturned Roe v. Wade at the federal level. Now it's a state issue, so it's not completely out of our country. And thank God they did that, and many states are starting to um, put more and more and more restrictions on abortion but it's still an issue that we are dealing with and still dealing with. Then we have the homosexual and the transgender movement and ideologies as it's even being not only accepted, but being pressed by our government. Uh, That's local, state, and federal. Now, I'm not saying every state, but enough that, again, in this nation, it's become a huge problem. The uh, banking system, the financial system, is on the verge of total collapse, because of corruption in our government. Uh, Schools, you know, schools, it's really strange to me. Public schools should be one of the safest places that a child can be. And now they've become, uh, in many cases, prisons, but in other cases, war zones. Even to the point where people can march on. Can you imagine? Think about that for just a minute, ladies and gentlemen. A place where our children, our children, those little people that should be the most important to not only us as parents, grandparents, but also as a community. Um, we, How is it that a stranger with a gun or guns can just simply walk onto a, any given campus for the most part and start randomly shooting our children? And then, of course, they blame the gun. But anyways, that's an, another rant for another time. So we have our school system, our educational system. All, everything is messed up right now in this nation. And if anybody was to ever say, we are so deserving of God's wrath and judgment, I would have to say, I 100, 100%, I completely agree, 100%, 110%, because of the wickedness that we've allowed in this country. And, and, and ladies and gentlemen, please, before you point a finger at, well, it's the government, uh, it's the president. Uh, it's the, it's those in charge of education. Uh, it's, we've got to be honest with ourselves, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, friends and foes, in-laws, outlaws, and no laws. We have to start being really honest with ourselves. It is you and I, we must, we, you and I, people like us, the average everyday citizen and civilian, 
we have to take responsibility for all of the mess and all the problems in the United States of America. Why? You say, no, no, no. Uh, uh, it, was the, it was the president that voted this stuff in or made this stuff happen. It was Congress. Yes, but ladies and gentlemen, you and I are the ones who either vote or don't vote, but it's because of what we do at the ballot box that determines all of this other stuff. I couldn't tell you how many Christians I have met and conservatives, Christian conservatives, who say things like, I, I don't vote because what's the point? Really? What's what, what's the point? Have you not been paying attention? Anyways, again, that's another rant for another day. I want to talk to you about the National Day of Prayer. Because, again, that's tomorrow, May 4th, Thursday, May 4th. The National Day of Prayer is always the first Thursday of May every year. And um, it's really interesting, its founding and how it got started. And it's actually a law that once a year, the president is supposed to call for a day of prayer. At least that's the way it started. And then in 19, was it 52? Anyways, let me just read this because... There's some answers in here. The National Day of Prayer. Oh, and by the way, I'm sorry. This is from just simply from Wikipedia. Wikipedia, And uh, I'll leave the link so you can uh, read it. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Just give you some highlights because I want to get into some other things as well. The National Day of Prayer is an annual day of observance held on the first Thursday of May designated by the United States Congress when people are asked to turn to God in prayer and meditation. The president is required by law. Isn't that interesting? The president is required by law to sign a proclamation each year encouraging all Americans to pray on this day. The modern law formalizing its annual observance was enacted in 1952 as part of the public reaction to the threats perceived in the Korean War. Although... Earlier days of fasting and prayer had been established by the Second Continental Congress from 1775 until 1783 and by President John Adams in 1798 and 1799. Thomas Jefferson established a day of prayer and thanksgiving, but this occurred while he served as governor of Virginia. <coughs> the constitutionality of the National Day of Prayer was unsuccessfully challenged by court by the Freedom From Religion Foundation after an appellate court dismissed this case based on standing without ruling on the day's legality. The Alliance Defense Fund, known as the Alliance Defending Freedom, provided the defense for observance of the National Day of Prayer. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, um, it, is, it blows my mind. The Freedom From Religion Foundation, it's, and I believe they're pretty much atheists, and they fight against anything religious in this country, and they've been fighting to get the uh, National Day of Prayer dismissed as a national holiday, presidents, Congress, and such, saying, hey, everybody, why don't you go pray? You know, they say that that goes against the First Amendment, and they say even though we have freedom of religion in this country, I've heard them say we also have freedom from religion in this country. And you know what's interesting? Those words aren't anywhere in our Constitution. It's amendments, the Bill of Rights. Freedom from religion? No, it's freedom of religion. Because everybody's religious, yes, including these atheists. Now, they claim to believe in no God, but the reality is they made themselves and their ideology their own God. Just something to think about, ladies and gentlemen.
So what they are trying to do is push their unique religion above uh, everybody else's religion. And Congress doesn't say who you have to pray for. So they're not breaking the First Amendment or who you have to pray to, I should say, not for, but to. They don't say who you're giving thanks to, just God, you know, and how many people, I mean, you and I know there's only one true God, the God of the Bible. Okay, one true God, the God of the Bible. We know that. But how many other religions are based upon somebody's idea of what God is or is not? So when we say we have the freedom of religion and, hey, go pray to God, you know, it's kind of like AA. If you want to make the light bulb in your room, your God, I guess you can do it. It's a higher power since it's over your, <laughs> since it's over your head. <laughs> I, you know, but... um. But if you want to be, if you, <laughs> I'm sorry that I just got that image <laughs> of somebody praying to their light bulb. <clears throat> I mean, you could do that if you want. You know, in the United States of America, you have the freedom to do that. You know, and if you, if you, <laughs> if, if, if your religion or supposed non-religion makes you yourself the highest being <laughs> in the room or in the world or in the universe, well, then talk to yourself. <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, but those of us who understand it and get it, and especially those of our founding fathers, those that go way back where this real, the roots of the National Day of Prayer, we can, we can uh, find the roots of this all the way back in the 1700s. These people understood it was the God of the Bible, God of the Bible, the, the one true God that you can uh, pray to to seek and have a relationship with through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ only. They understood this. But in even in a modern context, it's not breaking or going against or it's not unconstitutional for Congress or the president or anybody in the government to say, hey guys, uh, on May 4th, um, please go pray to God and give him thanksgiving or go pray to God and seek his face. It's not. They're not establishing a religion. They're not, it's not an establishing of religion by Congress. So this whole idea that it's unconstitutional is ridiculous, to be honest with you. Anyways, let me talk to you a little bit about the history. Again, same article. The National Day of Prayer shares common roots with the celebration of Thanksgiving. Both were national proclamations establishing a day of prayer. In the New England colonies under British rule, traditional observances in late fall called for prayer and thanksgiving, while observances in the spring or summer called for prayer and fasting. The fall observance was established by President Abraham Lincoln as the official Thanksgiving holiday in 1863. The spring observance was established by President Harry S. Truman in 1952 as the National Day of Prayer. Friction in 1768, (coughs) excuse me, through 1776 between the American colonists and England spurred some American cities and colonies to proclaim days of prayer. For instance, Boston declared a day of fasting and prayer in September 1768 as a protest against a British plan to station troops in the city. The colony of Virginia's House of Burgesses Burgesses, hopefully I'm saying that correctly, established a day of fasting and prayer to take place on Wednesday, June 1st, 1774, to protest the Boston Port Act, such that people of Virginia would assemble for prayer led by clergymen. Thomas Jefferson wrote, 
that the effect of the day through the whole colony was like a shock of electricity, moving the Virginians to choose delegates to establish self-rule. The provinces of South Carolina, Maryland, and, and Georgia all observed official days of fasting and prayer during 1774 to 1775. Now, of course, there's more in this article that'll give you a, a, a really good idea of where this came from and why. Uh, maybe I'll just read a little bit more because actually this is really good because a lot of people don't understand this. This is our history. This is who we are as a people. This is who we are as a nation. Uh, let me um, finish this. The observance of a day of fasting and prayer was brought to all of the colonists by the Continental Congress in 1775. So think about this, ladies and gentlemen, the very people that wrote the Bill of Rights, the Constitution, the amendments, especially the First Amendment, they're the ones uh, that the observance, as it says, the observance of a day of fasting and prayer was brought to all of the colonists by the Continental Congress of 1775. Congress issued a proclamation recommending a day of public humiliation, fasting, and prayer. Now, when it says humiliation, it doesn't mean go do something stupid and humiliate yourself. It was one of those abasements. It was, don't go out there and, and have a throw a party on this day. This was a day of just, you know, focusing on yourself, this nation, the problems that it's facing. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm choking on something here. <coughs> Sober-mindedly, all right? So that's what it meant by humiliation. <coughs> and this day was to be celebrated by the English colonies on Thursday, July 20, 1775, and to bless our rightful sovereign, King George III, at that time. So even then, even though they were trying to break away from England and all that, or they wanted to, they still said, we're going to pray for this dude. The text written by John Witherspoon and John Hancock instructed the colonists to pray for a resumption of the just rights and privileges of the colony in civil and religious matters. A proclamation to this end was sent to every town in the colonies. John Adams wrote that the popular response was gratifying, that the special day was more widely observed than the practice of going to church on Sunday. After this success, Congress determined to call for a day of fasting and prayer each spring and a day of thanksgiving and praise each fall. In his role as commander-in-chief of the Continental Army, General George Washington acknowledged a day of fasting, humiliation, and prayer proclaimed by the Continental Congress to be held on Thursday, May 6, 1779. To enable his soldiers to observe the day, Washington ordered a one-day cessation of recreation and unnecessary labor. In March 1780, Congress announced a day of fasting, humiliation, and prayer to be held on Wednesday, April 26, 1780. <clears throat> the practice of calling for national days of fasting and prayer was abandoned from 1784 until 1789, even though Thanksgiving days were observed each fall. On October 3, 1789, President Washington called for a National Day of Prayer and Thanksgiving to be observed on Thursday, November 26, 1789. This was an extension of the tradition of Thanksgiving, which was already customary in New England. President Adams continued the practice of proclaiming National Days of prayer in the spring and fall, but President Jefferson did not, as he considered prayer to be a matter of personal rather than state involvement. 
After James Madison, none of the next 11 presidents issued prayer proclamations. Thus, there was a period of 47 years from 1815 to 1862 with no presidential prayer proclamations. President Abraham Lincoln resumed the practice in 1863, declaring April 30th a National Day of Humiliation, Fasting, and Prayer in Proclamation 97. In January, February 1952, during the Korean War, the desirability of a united national prayer was stated by Reverend Billy Graham, who said, What a thrilling, glorious thing it would be to see the leaders of our country today kneeling before Almighty God in prayer. What a thrill would sweep this nation. What renewed hope and courage would grip the Americans at this hour of peril. Representative Percy Priest from Tennessee observed that Graham had issued a challenge for a national day of prayer. Members of the House and Senate introduced a joint resolution for an annual national day of prayer on which the people of the United States may turn to God in prayer and meditation at churches, in groups, and as individuals. On April 17, 1952, President Harry S. Truman signed a bill proclaiming a national day of prayer must be declared by each subsequent president at an appropriate date of his choice. In 1982, a conservative evangelical Christian organization called the National Prayer Committee was formed to coordinate and implement a fixed annual day of prayer for the purpose of organizing evangelical Christian prayer events with local, state, and federal government entities. The Thanksgiving Day of Prayer for the purpose of organizing... Whoops, I'm sorry. Let me start that one again. The Thanksgiving Foundation also collaborated in this effort. In his 1983 declaration, Ronald Reagan said, From General Washington's struggle at Valley Forge to the present, this nation has fervently sought and received divine guidance as it pursued the course of history. This occasion provides our nation with an opportunity to further recognize the source of our blessing and to seek his help for the challenges we face today and in the future. In 1988, the law was amended so that the National Day of Prayer would be held on the first Thursday of May. Two stated intentions of the National Day of Prayer were that it would be a day when adherents of all great religions could unite in prayer and that it may one day bring renewed respect for God to all the people of the world. Republican Ronald Reagan administration and George H.W. Bush administration, 1981 to 1993, each hosted special National Day of Prayer events held at the White House only once during their administrations. Democrat Bill Clinton administration from 1993 to 2001 did not hold any such events during his time in office though he issued proclamations annually. <coughs> Republican George H. Bush administration 2001 to 2009 made his first presidential act be the announcement of a national day of prayer and he held events at the White House in each year of his presidency. Democrat Barack Obama did not hold any public events at the White House though he issued presidential proclamations regularly each year. Republican President Donald Trump and First Lady Melania Trump attended church services in a observation of a special national day of prayer, which Trump previously declared in support of the victims of Hurricane Harvey dwelling in the state of Texas to uplift one another and assist those suffering from the consequences of this terrible storm. On May 7th, 
2020, due to COVID-19 pandemic, many virtual prayer events were planned. President Trump issued an official proclamation. A national event was planned for the evening to be co-hosted by the grandson of evangelist Billy Graham. Uh, there's again, there's more to this article, a little bit more. It talks about the observance, the legal challenge, and so on. And I'll leave that link in the uh, descriptions of this uh, episode. But the National Day of Prayer, as you can see, had its ups and downs through our, our history. It was begun all the way back with George Washington. It was really established uh, with Abraham Lincoln and at different times. And there was two periods where certain presidents just blew it off, didn't want anything to do with it, didn't state anything. And um, it's so interesting that at least in our modern time, this wasn't so much back, say, in the 50s and even uh, beyond that, but in our modern times, it was only the Republicans, the Republicans, ladies and gentlemen, the Republicans that established the National Day of Prayer, had prayer events. The Democrats, if they had anything at all, they would just issue a proclamation, some kind of proclamation. In other words, they would stand in front of a camera and a microphone and play politics and say something. But it was the Republicans that actually had events, whether it be at the White House or somewhere else that they attended and they went to. So at least the Democrats weren't hypocrites in that, you know. They don't believe in God. They don't care about God. They say they do, but they don't because their actions prove completely otherwise. <laughs> and when it comes to the National Day of Prayer, that could actually benefit this nation. And it should be led from the top, from the president on down. You know, the Democrats can't be found um, at least doing anything worthwhile on that day. So, again, National Day of Prayer. Now, why is this so important for us? You know, a lot of people, why, you know, why is this important? Why is it important now? Let me tell you something. The Bible says, the Bible says, remember that book, Holy Bible, the Bible, that really is the founding document of this nation. I know we, we go all the way back to the Mayflower Compact when they come off the Mayflower and they write up a, a paper, they write up this document. <clears throat> about their, you know, being there in the new land and their covenant with God and the nation and the people and all that, right? So we look at that as our founding document. And the reality of it is, even though in a sense it is for this particular, uh, for, for an era, for a time, the real true, honestly, uh, founding document is the Bible itself, the Holy Bible. I know a lot of people want to argue that, but well, um, to be frank, they're just being fools, and, and showing their ignorance and their stupidity. The founding document of the United States of America is the words of the Bible. Now, before anybody runs and says, it's the King James only. No, it wasn't. They brought the Geneva Bible here, not the King James. They were running from King James when they came here. They certainly wouldn't bring his Bible. They had the Geneva Bible. <clears throat> but that's neither here nor there. So it's the words of the Bible. So if you want to know how to run a nation especially the United States of America. The only way we're going to get back to our glory days is to get back to the words of the Bible. The only way. But let me read to you 2 Chronicles 7.14. Most of you, especially if you're Christian, you know this verse very well. It says, Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and restore their land. You know, what's interesting about this is I've heard many people say, well, see, if America will just turn back to God, well, yeah, if America will turn to God, God will do great things. But th 
This says, this is God speaking, by the way. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray. There's a lot of people in this nation that are not born-again, spirit-filled Christians. They have yet to accept Jesus as their Savior. So the reality of it is, they're not God's people. I hate to break it to you, but unless you're serving God through Jesus Christ, you are not one of his children. You do not belong to him. The Bible makes that very, 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 very clear. So if it's the people of God, the born-again, spirit-filled Christians, those who claim Jesus, those who claim to be saved, those who claim to be born again, if you and I, if we, those who claim to be born again, will humble, if we will humble ourselves, if we will pray, if we will seek the face of God, and if we turn from our wicked way, then God will hear from heaven and will forgive our sins and restore our land. So that even those who have yet, didn't, haven't yet received Christ, they will benefit by our hum- humility. You see, so when the early presidents, such as Abraham Lincoln, George Washington, and such, they were calling for a day of humiliation. It wasn't humiliation in the sense of being embarrassed. It was humiliation in the sense of humbling oneself before the Lord, humbling oneself before the Lord, crying out in repentance for their sins and standing in the gap for others and and crying out for for, uh, forgiveness and repentance on behalf of others. In other words, interceding for others. God says, I will restore your land. The, 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 this nation, United States of America, and I could say this about many nations, but I'm focusing on the United States of America. We have a lot of restoration. We're in need, desperate need of a lot of restoration on every level and in every area, in, in our government, in the educational system, in the financial system, the business system, in the arts and entertainment system, in the system of the family. When in some in some areas and uh, upwards of 75, 80% of every child born is into a single parent household, fathers aren't around, or oh, even the family desperately needs healing and deliverance. And and so we keep looking at those who haven't yet accepted Jesus and say, you need to do this. You need to do this. Oh, Biden, you need to do that. And don't get me wrong, trust me, these guys do need to do that on, on you know, for many, many reasons. But the, for the restoration of our nation, the person, the people, the people group that need to get on their face, humble themselves, repent of their sins, turn back to God, are the ones who claim to be born again spirit-filled Christians, the ones who claim to to know Christ, the ones who claim uh, to uh, serve Jesus. The reason that this nation is in the mess that it's in is because the church is in a mess. Now, a lot of the Christians, they just pass it off and say, pass the buck by saying, oh, well, you know how it is. We're in the end times. Uh, Jesus is coming, get it out of here. Any minute now, Antichrist is showing up. So, and, and all they're doing is using a false doctrine to get themselves off the hook for not doing what they're supposed to be doing. The National Day of Prayer, ladies and gentlemen, is yes, for the nation to turn to God, but more importantly, it is for the born-again believer or those who claim to be to turn back to God and get themselves right with God. And, and until that happens, you can have a thousand people who don't yet know Jesus cry out to God and say, "Uh, God, uh, whoever you are, uh, bless us, uh, heal us, uh," and not much will happen. God might have some mercy on those who really are tender of heart and have a pure heart and are really seeking God, but we're not going to see this nation flip up, uh, uh, you know, right side up until God's people, God's people make it right. Benjamin Franklin said this, 
supposedly he said it April 17th, 1787. Only a virtuous people are capable of freedom. As nations become corrupt and vicious, they have more need of masters. And that was Benjamin Franklin. And aren't we seeing that? That, that uh, this nation is getting further and further away from God and we're losing more and more of our freedoms as we get further away from God? Because those who are away from God don't know how to manage themselves. They are not self-ruling people. So they need somebody else to come in and rule them because they get lawless. They become lawless. But those that know their God, those who know their God and know God's word will be the greatest people because they're virtuous and they are capable of handling freedom by themselves and for themselves. Proverbs 11.14 says, Without wise leadership, a nation falls. There is safety in having many advisors. So, and, and those advisors, I'm assuming, if you have righteous advisors, but without wise leadership, a nation falls. Now listen, ladies and gentlemen, for many years, this nation has been going down, 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 down. And if you're honest, and this is, I'm trying not to be too political here. I'm just, this is just the truth. In the Trump era, you know, um, this nation was doing very well financially. Uh, Jobs were created. We had the lowest unemployment, even among most minority groups, or all minority groups, actually. And things were better. Well, gas was a lot cheaper, of course. There was wars coming to an end in this world because of the leadership that the United States provided through President Trump. And now under Biden, everything that Trump accomplished, Biden destroyed, and you and I are paying for it. Why? Because whether you liked him or not, whether you whether you liked the way he did things, I'm talking about President Trump, he was in many ways a very wise leader, a wise leader. You might say, well, he was unrighteous. It doesn't say that. It says wise leader. He was a he became a billionaire because he knew what he was doing. He was a wise leader. All right? And he had many advisors around him. Now granted, um one of his weaknesses was putting not all of them, of course, but he had a few around him that were not very good strong advisors. As a matter of fact, they turned on him and stabbed him in the back the way Pence did. But for the most part, he had a lot of uh great and and uh wise advisors around him. He brought pastors, pastors around him, not only to pray for him, but to counsel him. He asked them a lot of questions. What about this? What about this? I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? And he got their input. I'm not saying he did everything that the pastors told him to do, but he was listening to him. Why? Because he was a wise leader. Few know the pulse of the culture and society as the pastor. And I'm not talking about the big mega church pastor that really doesn't even talk to the people. I'm talking about your local pastor who has, you know, 100 to 200, maybe 300, 500 people in his congregation, all from the immediate community. He knows that community. He knows what they want. He knows their fears. He knows their joys. He knows what makes them tick. Having somebody like that at the White House that can give you some real grassroots information, brilliant. And Trump did that, whether you like him or not. He was a wise leader in that. And the nation started picking itself up under Trump because that's what happens when you have wise leadership. Now, under Biden, um, look what, what, we're, what we're going through. We're losing our freedoms more and more and more. There's pouring people pouring into this country illegally. It's putting a, a huge strain on the country everywhere. There was just five people that were murdered uh, about a week ago, murdered 
by somebody who is here illegally and was deported four times. Does that even make sense, ladies and gentlemen? But because people like Biden, who's acting foolish, has this open border policy that kept keeps allowing people like this guy in, who eventually ends up killing five people as an illegal alien because of the foolishness of our leadership. Well, those types of things, I didn't say stopped completely under Trump because it takes a, a while to get his policies enacted, but it didn't happen as often. Why? Because he clo- he wanted to close the borders and build a wall. That's wise. The same way you and I close our doors and lock our doors and our windows at night so people that are not supposed to be in our house don't get in our house. And if they start breaking into our house, they're in violation and we can put them down. And Trump was saying the same thing. If you want to come here, fine. You're going to come here when we say you can come in the same way into your house, into your property. You get to say who comes in and when they come in. And that's all Trump was saying. Anyways, wise leadership. Samuel Adams said this, religion and good morals are the only solid foundation of public liberty and happiness. Let me read that again. Samuel Adams. And I'm not talking about the year. I'm talking about one of our founding fathers. Religion and good morals are the only solid foundation of public liberty and happiness. So our founding fathers understood this and they wove the word of God and this type of wisdom throughout the constitution, uh, every amendment, the bill of rights, the, the federalist papers, all the founding documents. And that's why I say the true original founding document of the United States of America is the Holy Bible. Never forget that, ladies and gentlemen. America has become the strongest, greatest nation on the planet in, in just, what are we now, like 250 years? About 250 years because of the word of God, because of the Holy Bible. Have we made mistakes? Oh, absolutely. Same way the people of the Bible did. But when we recognize our mistakes, we realize our mistakes, we at least used to repent of those mistakes, correct those mistakes, and call out to God. Now those mistakes are being paraded through the streets and we are demanded that we celebrate those mistakes. Proverbs 14.34 says, "Godliness, Godliness makes a nation great, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Proverbs 14.34 again, godliness makes a great nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Ladies and gentlemen, we've been seeing that in our nation. We've been seeing that from the White House to, I don't know what they call it, the White House to the house on Main Street, wherever. We've been seeing that, that when, when there's godliness, Godly people doing their best to serve God perfectly? No, because we're human beings, but they're godly. They're pursuing righteousness. They're pursuing God. They're reading their word and doing their best to align their life with the word of God. Then the nation becomes stronger and greater, especially when those people are leaders, because whether we like it or not, whether we agree with it or not, we look to our leaders and we start establishing ourselves based upon what we see from the leadership that happens on the job in business, in sports, happens in government, happens in education. You know, what are those 20 or 30 kids doing sitting in a class staring at that one teacher? Well, they're trying to be like that teacher in many ways. Learn from the teacher. Watch the teacher. They, in many ways, become like that teacher. Same thing in politics. Same thing in our government. Same thing in business. Your managers, the owners of the company, uh, the employees look 
to their employer and they start to emulate that person, even though they may complain, go home and have nothing good to say about that leader. They're still watching that leader every day and becoming more and more and more like that leader. It just happens. Same thing in the world of sports. You know, why do we have teachers or I'm sorry, trainers? Why do we have coaches so that those players on the field become more like their coaches who should know what they're talking about. So when we have godliness makes a great nation, it's it's not just some ethereal thing called, it's people pursuing their God and living their best by the word of God. That makes a nation great because it has a domino effect. But sin also has a domino effect and it disgraces, is a disgrace to any people. Ronald Reagan said this, the founding fathers believed that faith in God was the key to our being a good people and America becoming a great nation. I want to say that again. Ronald Reagan said this. The founding fathers believed that faith in God was the key to our becoming a good people and America's becoming a great nation. So having faith in God, and ladies and gentlemen, having faith in God doesn't just mean, yeah, I believe there's a God. No, no. Having faith in God. The word faith could also be translated or seen or recognized as faithfulness. So being faithful to God. How do you be faithful to God? Know his word. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself said, if you love me, keep my commandments. There's a lot of people say, I love Jesus, but don't keep his commandments, making them liars. If you love God, you love Jesus, keep his commandments. So faith and faithfulness is pursuing God by doing his word. And when we can do that, our nation will become great. Now, MAGA, make America great again. A lot of people say, well, when was it ever great? When we served God, when we followed the words of the Bible, that's when America was great. That's when America rose to the top. You say, well, we have so many bad things in our history. Yes, we do. But every time we turn to God and every time we turn to the Bible and we started realizing, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's things in this Bible that speak directly against what we're doing as a people and as a nation. And there was people in our nation that had the courage to say, wait a minute, ladies and gentlemen, government, citizens, we've got to stop this national practice of whatever it was, slavery, uh, the way they treated the Native Americans, all of this, because the Bible says, and even within America, there was a, there was a group of people at those times that were very unrighteous, that fought to keep slavery enacted. That was the whole Democrat party, by the way. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I know but Democrats are wicked, have been wicked from their inception. It was the Democrats that fought for slavery. It was the Democrats responsible for Jim Crow laws. It was the Democrats that established the Ku Klux Klan. It was the Democrats that lynched. The Democrats formed the Ku Klux Klan to intimidate Republicans, black and white. Now, many of them, of course, were black. Most of them were black, but nonetheless, the Democrats founded the Ku Klux Klan to intimidate Republicans. How did they intimidate the Republicans? Through lynchings, primarily, again, of black people because they hated the black people or they were against black people in this sense. Um, hated is a, it, hate is a true and a right word, but it goes deeper than just not liking them. They wanted them to be their slaves because they did not see them fully as full human beings, okay? So anyways, they came about uh, forming the Ku Klux Klan or what we know today as the Ku Klux Klan 
to intimidate Republicans. And how did they do that primarily? Through lynching uh, Republicans. Now, again, most of them were black, but some of them were white, but most of them were black. Who did that? Democrats. So who was standing up against the Democrats? The Republicans. The Republicans. It was the party that was formed to bring an end to slavery. Why? Because there were good Christian righteous people that got tired of it, said enough's enough. They came together along with people such as Abraham Lincoln and started doing things systematically to bring slavery to an end, even to the point of fighting a war where thousands upon thousands of thousands of, and yes, even white Americans fought and died so that slavery can come to an end in the United States of America. Now, granted, I know that it wasn't only slavery that they were fighting over. True, but that was part of it. It was a huge part of it. And uh, so anyways, I don't want to get on my political rant anymore on that one. But when, when you hear me come against or speak against the Democrats, it's because these are wicked people. They, they started wicked. They continued in their wickedness and they're still wicked today. And mark my words. I just hope that the, the American people wake up and recognize this wickedness before, I don't even want to say it's already too late. It's been too late. It was too late back in the 1800s when, when there was the discussion about bringing an end to slavery. It, was, it goes all the way back to the 1700s. When, when the discussion really started way back then. It's, it's, been, it's just crazy to me. Anyways, let me go on. Proverbs 28 verse 2 says this. When there is moral rot, says this, moral rot within a nation, its government topples easily. But wise and knowledgeable leaders bring stability. When there is moral rot within a nation, its government topples easily easy, but wise and knowledgeable leaders bring stability. That's Proverbs 28.2. Ladies and gentlemen, again, just with our present um, president, his administration, and what they're doing and what they're pushing and their policies, there is certainly moral rot within the nation as a whole, but especially in those places of, I don't want to say power because they're not supposed to have power, but those places of tyranny, I'll use that word, um, tyranny, where a lot of decisions that affect you and me and everybody else, they're being made in a place where there's moral rot. So by the time it gets to you and I, no wonder our gas prices are so high. No wonder we're on the verge of a complete and total economic collapse. No wonder we just had this COVID-19 nonsense, the lies, and then the pushing of these vaccines that are now killing people. Why? Because all those decisions made were made in a place of great moral rot within this nation. And now the whole nation is being affected, infected and affected by that moral rot. What does this have to do with the day of prayer? We, we, we don't have to wait till tomorrow. This could be every day. Ladies and gentlemen, this should happen every day. But we can turn away from all of that. And God will hear our cry and heal our land. And one of the ways he'll heal our land is he'll do two things. One, he will remove the moral rot by removing the people that are morally rotten. But number two, he will remove the moral rot in our own hearts so that we will stop voting for that nonsense to begin with. Anyways, let me go on. George Washington also said, whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence 
of Almighty God to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to implore his protection and favor. Again, that's George Washington, as they would say, the father of our country. He is saying all nations, not just this nation, but all nations should cry out to God, declare his providence, acknowledge that he alone is God, and obey his will, and be grateful for his benefits, and humbly implore or pray for his protection and favor. Why was the nation at that time able to to come up against a greater force, the, the British army, and win? When all the odds were against us, when all the odds were against the early Continental Army and the Continental Congress and these colonies, how was it that we were able to win? Because of men like George Washington, men like our founding fathers who knew, you gotta serve God, serve him strong and be courageous and God will come through for us. It doesn't matter what it looks like out there. What does your relationship with God look like? What is our relationship as a nation with God? What does that look like? If it looks good, if it looks right, and we're crying out to God, we'll win. And we did, ladies and gentlemen. Proverbs 29, 4 says, A just king gives stability to his nations, but one who demands bribes destroys it. Now, I understand that we're not under a king. Well, let me put it this way. We're not supposed to be under a king. We have presidents, and it's supposed to be we the people. We are supposed to be the government, but we honestly, we gave that up a long time ago, and we kind of made our president a king that we just filter through every four to eight years. Um, But when you have somebody that is righteous, that does not take bribes, that does not pad himself in that sense, that's really looking out for the good of the people instead of his own pocketbook, well, then there'll be stability in that nation. But the person who demands bribes, in other words, the person who is more concerned about what he can put in his pocket than the American people, and he's always trying to play the both. How do I how do I schmooze and fool the American people and become rich myself? That That leader, that president, that king will destroy that nation. And we're seeing that right now, ladies and gentlemen. We're seeing that right now. When so many people in our government, the president, um, all the way down, Congress, Senate, and all that, and many others, people even in, in the local governments and state governments sold out to China, taking bribes from China or George Soros uh, uh, for, for what? For themselves. And it's destroying this nation from within because of the bribes that our leaders are taking from these wicked places. So... It says a just king, but we don't have a just king, not just a king. We don't have a just or a righteous or a pure king or a moral king. We don't. And because of that, there's instability in this nation and it's being destroyed. I'm sharing this with you before the National Day of of Event or Prayer, I'm sorry, the National Day of Prayer, not just to share with you some problems in this nation, but to give you something that you can go take to the knee when you pray tonight, tomorrow, for the rest of, you know, for the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years, uh, we should be praying for righteous leaders, praying for our leaders, but for righteous leaders. And how do we do that? First, humble yourselves, ladies and gentlemen, humble yourselves. If you've been away from Christ, come back to Christ and repent. Okay, repent. Father, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me for being away from your son, being away from your love, being away from salvation. Receive me again so that I might come in. I humble myself. I'm going to start reading your word. I'm going to start doing your word. And ladies and gentlemen, do that. As a matter of fact, read the word and get into the word and and do the word. All right. Get a Bible. And and what's so awesome is, um, well, all of you that listen to this are listening on some device, uh, your your 
your phone, your smartphone, uh, or a tablet, or a computer. You know, you can go on and, and download, go to the App Store, whatever, whether it be uh, Apple, Samsung, whatever. Go to the App Store and you can download a free Bible. Free Bible. And read it every day, right right there in your hand, right on your phone. And what happens is many nations try to outlaw the Bible. Do you know how difficult it is to outlaw the Bible when you can just download it onto your phone or some other uh, um, uh, device such as that? And uh, anyway, so everybody in the world can have not just a copy of the Bible, but several copies of the Bible. On my phone alone, I have several translations and several languages. I don't even speak anything but other than English, but I still have them because of where I travel and such. Anyways, let me go on. I'm almost done. George Washington also said this, it is impossible to rightly govern a nation without God and the Bible. Again, that was George Washington. It is impossibly, is it impossibly, it is impossible to rightly govern a nation without God in the Bible. Now, he says a nation. He didn't say United States of America. A nation. You say, a lot of people say, well, no, 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 no. There's lots of nations that are are being governed without God or the Bible. Even atheists or people that don't believe in our God or believe in the Bible. Yeah, but how well are those nations being governed? Horribly. And even here in the United States of America, when you have presidents that turn to the Bible, read the Bible, and invite people to pray for them and have meetings with pastors and church leaders. The nation gets stronger. The nation is better. And this has been proven over and over and over and over again throughout our history. And it started with George Washington, who fought. He led the army and fought against overwhelming odds and won our freedom. And we are still uh, uh, living in that today. Abraham Lincoln was a strong believer in Jesus Christ. And look at the great things he was able to do for this nation. He was able to go in and fight a civil war that ended up leading to the the, the freeing, the ending of slavery, all right? And he kept the union together. Because remember, many of the southern states wanted to break off and make countries unto themselves. But he says, no, this is the United States united, not separated, but united states of America. He had to figure out how to win the war, free the slaves, get uh, economic, uh, uh, um, positive economic issues back into this country, and how to keep the country together without falling apart. Nobody could do that. Nobody on their, on their own is really that smart. But people like Abraham Lincoln, they had a God that they served, and God is that smart. And God gave him the, the ability and the wisdom on what to do and how to do it. And, and you can see this all through, all through our history. When you have people that turn to God more and more and more and more, the country is stronger and stronger and stronger. You get people that turn away from God, such as, well, right now what we're dealing with, Joe Biden. And the nation gets further away from God, further away from his precepts. And um, it's not being governed correctly. It's not being governed right. So how, how do they have to govern if God's not in it? through tyranny, through lies, through deception, through fear. They have to keep us all in check by saying, hey, there's a virus out there. Don't leave your house. Shut down your churches. Shut down your businesses. Shut down your schools. Wear 18 masks. uh, Wear rubber gloves. Don't go anywhere. You'll be fine. Maybe thrown in prison. That's how they have to rule when they don't serve God. Robert Treat Payne, he was the signer of a, one of the signers, I should say, of the Declaration of Independence, said this, 
I desire to bless and praise the name of God Most High for appointing me my birth in a land of gospel light where the glorious tidings of a Savior and of pardon and salvation through him have been continually sounding in my ears. That was Robert Treat Payne. He was thanking God for uh, um, for God putting him here in the United States and having him being born here in a nation that he says a land of gospel light where glorious tidings of the Savior and of pardon and salvation through him have been continually sounding in his ears. In other words, it's a continual preaching. It's a continual message. It's a continuing declaration of salvation, the Savior, Jesus Christ, this, as he called it, the gospel of light. He was praising God for this land, for this nation. And ladies and gentlemen, you should too. You say, well, I don't, I don't think I'm going to praise God for a nation that has so many bad things. Okay, okay, you find me a nation anywhere on the planet that, number one, doesn't have things at least equally as bad, in some places much, much worse, okay? Uh, and then show me the nation that when they finally put an end to some of those really bad things, hasn't done, you know, that has done as much as the United States of America is to rectify those problems. You won't. I've traveled the world. And this is in our modern age. I've been all over. And I can honestly tell you with everything that in, that's in me that the United States of America is the least, listen to me, ladies and gentlemen, the least racist country I've ever been in anywhere. I've been in countries where um, they hated me, hated me, hated me because I was an American. They didn't know anything about America. They didn't know anything about me. But I walk in and I look different. I sound different than them and they hated me. I've been in places where they actually, they absolutely loved me because I was an American. But then somebody else from another country walks in and they hate them with a, I mean, a vile hatred. I've had them turn to me and spew some of the greatest wickedness about other people in other nations. And it blew my mind because I wasn't used to that. You know, I'm used to in the United States of America, you can go down most any of our, especially larger cities, and see people of all races, all um, nationalities, all skin colors, walking around, doing business, going into the same restaurants, shops, stores, same malls, not bothering anybody, enjoying one another's company, opening the door for one another, smiling at one another, saying hello, saying goodbye, have a good day, sir, have a good day, ma'am. How are you today without any incidents or any problems? That's not always the case in many nations, even today. And then people have the nerve to say we're the most racist nation on the planet. No, we are not. Not even by a long shot. Anyways, so tomorrow is the National Day of Prayer, May 4th. And uh, please find an event in your neighborhood, in your area, and go to it. They're usually early in the morning, so get ready to get up early and go. I'm going to be the keynote speaker at the uh, National Day of Prayer event, the AV Chamber of Commerce, Hispanic, I'm sorry, AV Hispanic Chamber of Commerce is putting on this year, and they asked me to be the keynote speaker, which is great and awesome privilege, because this is the business community saying, we need prayer in our nation again, spearheading this and asking me to be their keynote speaker. What a great honor and privilege that is. And we're going to have a phenomenal time, a fantastic time. And we're going to call, we're going to call heaven to earth. We're going to repent. We're going to stand up. We're going to be strong, but we're going to call heaven to earth. And we're going to see a shift in this nation. Why? Because of everything that's going on in our nation, finally, more and more Christians, finally, more and more Americans are waking up and saying, we need to change. Many of them are saying, we need to get back to God. So this um, National Day of Prayer 
is going to be probably the most powerful we have seen in many, 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 many years, probably decades. So ladies and gentlemen, please, again, find a place that you can go and be with others and cry out to God. Cry out to God with everything that's in you. Turn back to God. Humble yourself. And if we do this together as a nation, as a people that call on the name of God, we will see this nation turn around and our best days are still yet to come. Thank you for joining us at Table Flippers. I truly appreciate you. You can write me at gwccrobert at gmail.com. That's gwccrobert at gmail.com. Please let me know how I'm doing. Remember to pick up some of our merchandise. You can find the link at gwcclancaster.org. That's gwcclancaster.org. Until next time, be continually blessed.